0: Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Cults in Crime. I'm Jamie. And I'm Nicole. So, you guys remember how I told you we were going to do this new, fun, mini-episode arc thing? Hope we got our teaser. (laughs) Yeah, if you're paying attention to the teaser, this is it. And the very first story I'm bringing you from Tracy, California, is a case that shocked the nation. This is the story of eight-year-old Sandra Cantu. On March 27th, Sandra Cantreau left the home she shared with her mother, grandparents, and three older siblings around 4 p.m. to go play with a friend. She would do this pretty often and would knock on her friend's doors to ask if they'd come out and play. She knew to never leave the mobile home park, and since the park only had about 100 residents, the family knew almost all the people that lived there. And the family felt really safe letting Sandra do this. It had always been a really family friendly. It had always been a really family-friendly place, and it had a basketball court and a pool. Sandra knew to come home by dinner, but as time passed and Sandra didn't come home, her family started to worry. This was really unlike her, and she had never done this before. So her mother left the home and searched the trailer park for her daughter. Their Their efforts proved fruitless, and Sandra was nowhere to be found. Like I said, Sandra knew better than to come home later than dinner or even to leave the trail park. So the fact that they couldn't find her anywhere on the premises told the family that something was wrong. And that family ended up calling police at 7:53. The family ended up calling the police at 7:53 and reported her missing. Originally the police treated the crime as a missing persons, saying there was no evidence of a kidnapping. So not her missing child. Well, they treated it like a missing person. You know, they were like, oh, it's just a kid who, you know, was out too late and was afraid to come home. because I knows hate she's gonna hearing get in stories trouble. like this. Or, you know, it's a kid who's at a friend's house and she forgot to call and she thinks she's having a sleepover. There's so many reasons why a kid would go missing that isn't kidnapping. And, you know, that's what the police thought. Because, you know, and I don't, I want to blame them because I expect them to do better. But. You want to think the best situation. You want to think that she just, you know, didn't realize how late it was, fell asleep at a friend's house, was playing and having a great time, and is going to be home soon. She's just a little late. Unfortunately, in this case, that's just not what happened. Even though the police didn't treat it like a kidnapping, they really did react to the situation urgently. To the police, this was race against time, They know that even if Sandra was lost, somewhere every hour where they waited would decrease the chances of her coming home safe. Especially since they were starting the search potentially a few hours into her being missing. Her family last saw her around three, and the police were notified just before eight. So they had potentially already lost five hours. And yeah, the police chief... That's a lot of time when you're thinking about a missing kid. Yeah, I, I... Imagine, like, as an adult, how far you could walk in five hours. And this is Tracy, California, so there's tons of freeways everywhere. She could have gotten in a car with someone and could be cross state lines by now. The police chief was Janet Thesson, and she had only just been promoted two months prior to Sandra's disappearance. So, from the beginning, she and the rest of the force were under a lot of pressure to find Sandra and return her to her family. The very first thing the police did when they arrived was get a description. And they talked to the family to lock down that timeline I was talking about. They found out that everyone in the family was home during the window she went missing, but no one knew where she could have gone. Her grandfather, however, does have a security camera outside the home, and it captured footage of Sandra. So, Nicole, I have the footage, and I'm going to go ahead and send it to you so you can describe to them what you see. Okay, so... I see a girl. She's looks really kind of happy. I'm assuming that's Sandra. Yes. Okay. And she walked out of the camera shot. And that's it. Is that it? Yeah. And that's it. So I want you to look at it again. And really slowly towards the end. She's walking towards her home. Probably going home. And then she veers off okay to watch. me it looks like she sees something and then walks in that direction okay let me take a look she's walking arms flailing looking like she had a really good time yeah she's skin she looks she so fears. happy she veers and she's looking at something sandra is seen at 4 p.m wearing a pink hello kitty t-shirt and black pants this matches what sandra's mom said she was wearing when she left the home around three Unfortunately, besides nailing down the time frame, it doesn't really help the police very much, you know, to figure out where Sandra went. Well, no, you don't see anything. All you have is a general direction. Yeah, and unfortunately, that direction is towards going, and unfortunately, that general direction is leaving the mobile home park. The next day, hundreds of volunteers and law enforcement started combing the area looking for Sandra. They did door-to-doors with her photo, posted flyers, and the police really put a lot of manpower and money into this. They had helicopters equipped with heat sensors, horses, dogs, divers. They were searching all the vehicles that came in and out of the trailer park. But why would they search the trailer park if she was walking away from it? Just covering the grounds, or...? Well, because there's more than... Her family didn't live right next to the exit, so she would have had to walk past several other mobile home parks and maybe she doubled back somewhere. Unfortunately, like you you saw, there's not a ton of field of view for that security camera. Yeah, totally. Okay, that makes sense. So the investigators start to look for more clues, and I told you how Sandra lived with her mother and grandparents, right? Yes. Well, her mother and father were divorced, and were actually in kind of an ugly battle over support payments during this time. So her father hadn't really been a part of Sandra's life for a while, but the police really started to look into him. You know, when you do an investigation, you start with the family and work your way out. People who have the most contact with Sandra. You know, because they, like all of us true crime know, that it's most likely to be someone who's related to Sandra that took her. Yeah, or someone she knew. But after doing some investigations, they found out that Sandra's father wasn't even in Tracy at the time of her disappearance. The father was a dead end. So what about the mom? She, like the rest of the family, was at the mobile home together at the time she went missing. So, So they were their own, they were, yeah, they were their own alibis. Everyone, you know, plus, you could see the security camera. You could have seen it. Anyone from the family left or went back into that trailer. Yeah, definitely. So by the time the police had put out a missing bulletin for this... This alerted the FBI's Child Abduction Rapid Deployment Unit, who specialized, in investigating and mi- who specialized in investigating missing and abducted children. So when they arrived, they started interviewing and re-interviewing the neighbors. Apparently, this was a really tight-knit community. Many people told the FBI about times they had spent with Sandra, and how Sandra on many occasions had been in their homes. She was a crazy, helpful girl, so she would often ask people if they needed help with anything, or even just to help them cook dinner. That's so sweet. Yeah, she was just this crazy, sweet, helpful kid. You know, I could barely want to cook, help my, you know, I barely wanted to help my own mother cook dinner, and this girl was walking around asking her neighbors if they needed anything. So not only that, but she was really popular with the other kids that lived in the park. So when she would go door-to-door to go play, she would often be accepted and welcomed with open arms. As you can imagine, this made it incredibly hard to investigate, since it sounded like everyone at some point had interacted with Sandra. Making almost all the trailers in the entire park a potential crime scene. Well, yeah, it sounds like she would have felt safe going anywhere. So with the police and the FBI asking around and looking at people's vehicles, naturally, neighbors started to take a hard look at each other. This led to a tip from Sandra's mother's best friend. A suitcase had been stolen from the front of the house the day Sandra had been missing. She sent a text to Sandra's mom saying, Tell the police that I had something stolen today around 4 a.m. Sorry. Tell the police I had something stolen today around 4 p.m. It turns out it was a rather large suitcase. I don't know if that makes a difference or not So this led the police to think that maybe, maybe it was an opportunity that Sandra and the suitcase were connected. Tracy is in the triangle between three large interstates. This would make it literally... this would make it incredibly easy for someone to get off the freeway, see Sandra walking alone and kidnap her, stuff her in a suitcase, and go right back onto the interstate. And if that was the case, she could be almost anywhere by that point, even states away. The neighborhood was bordered by the 205. And with that interstate converging in Tracy, it would be really easy for someone to switch to the 5 or even the 580. And this is what, if this is what would happen, it would be nearly impossible to find Sandra. Well, yeah, like you said, she could be anywhere. The FBI also formed a profile for the type of person who would be most likely to have kidnapped Sandra. The profile said it was most likely a white male between the age of 25 and 40, with minor criminal history, if any at all. And that if he had a criminal history, it would be likely for sexual assault or child pornography. They also believe the abductor is most likely someone who lives close to Sandra and knows her or at least knows the neighborhood. This brings us to our next suspect, Frank Wooler. Wooler first became a suspect after the authorities were notified of his interaction with Sandra in the past. This is super creepy. Two years prior, while at the pool located on the complex, he had gone up to Sandra, brushed a strand of hair out of her face, and kissed her on the mouth. I'm sorry, what? Yup. Grown-ass man. That's kissing at that what kissing at that point would have been a six year old child. That's absolutely disgusting. Oh, it's crazy weird and super suspicious and really gross. hundred percent. So agree. he originally told ABC 7 News that he didn't know who Sandra was. And this okay. was despite the fact that he lived in the same trailer park as her. And kissed so her the- on the mouth. Yeah. And previously had kissed her on the mouth. So the police really dig into him and he admits to the kiss saying he was just being friendly. That's just how he is. And besides, he hasn't really talked to her since. He sees her around the trailer park sometimes, but he said he had no contact with her. But the police did not buy this because they are intelligent individuals. And they questioned him and they questioned him. And during an eight hour interrogation, he ended up admitting that he did know Sandra and they were friends. He said that she would come over and help him water his plants. Ugh. He even admitted to the police that he had sexual fantasies about young girls, and guess what his preferred age range was? Oh, I don't know, Jamie. He told the police that he prefers gay- he told the police that he prefers girls ages 9 to 10. Sandra Ugh. is 8. She was 8 when she went missing. Oh, gross, gross, gross. Okay. Yeah, so you can imagine the police really latch onto this guy and they're like, what's your alibi? Why you look so creepy? Sorry, I am hyped why are up because I you hate so this creepy? dude. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm hyped up because I hate this dude. Yeah, why are you so creepy? Why does everyone know you're a giant creep? Why are you such and why a giant pedophile? No one, and why do people let their kids out knowing this guy kissing my daughters and kissing kids in the pool? Agreed. So at the time, there's just nothing to charge him on, but there is enough for a warrant.
1: Six is there warrants,
0: actually? Is there enough charge to charge him with creepiness? Unfortunately, that is not against the law, but dang, sometimes I wish it was. So they take his vehicle and they go through his trailer and his martial arts studio, top to bottom. I hate a this martial guy. arts studio where he has plenty of access to young children. I have to add. So they're look up for any. They're looking for any sign of Sandra. You know, any sign that there was a struggle anything, but they find nothing. On April 1st, the teams searching for Sandra make a discovery at the town dump. At this time, they're working their way through over 300 different tips, and they're really searching everywhere. A quote from the police lieutenant told the reporters, we are going through absolutely everyone's trash in the city of Tracy this week. It's just covering a base. If we don't do it now, we won't be able to do it later. It was during the search that a team found a pink t-shirt that matched what Sandra was wearing when she was last seen. This was a huge blow to many who were searching for Sandra, especially those who found the shirt since many were still looking for a child that they hoped was very much alive. Well, did the t-shirt have blood on it or anything like that? A t-shirt doesn't necessarily prove death. The t-shirt was brought to Sandra's family to identify whether or not it belonged to her. And when the family saw the t-shirt, they knew it was the wrong size. Oh, thank God. Sandra's family, like Nicole just now, felt this amazing sigh of relief. You know, there's hope. There is still hope. We're still looking for our baby girl. Okay, so unfortunately, that t-shirt didn't bring them any closer to finding Sandra. So, the police were running out of credible leads. That was until a suspicious incident at a candlelight vigil being held for Sandra. The authorities were there partly to give their respects, but also to watch the crowd. To look for anyone who maybe cared a little bit too much, who cared maybe not at all, maybe someone who looked really nervous. You know, anything that could be suspicious. At this point, they needed something to look into, they needed someone to point them in the right direction at the vigil a woman runs up to them and frantically she's crying she's screaming i found something i found something follow me follow me i'm crying screaming so of course the detectives follow her and she leaves the detectives over to a piece of paper on the ground it read cantrew locked in stolen luggage in water at bassini and whitehall signed witness The letter had some really interesting misspellings. For example, stolen was spelt S-T-O-L-I-N opposed to S-T-O-L-E-M. And the word on, O-N, was misspelled as well. And the handwriting was in all caps and block letters. The FBA determined that this was the work of someone trying to hide their handwriting and spelling ability because obviously you're not going to misspell a two-letter word. Yeah, definitely. No capitalization. But if you're not very proficient with spelling and punctuation, only capitalizing letters seems kind of weird to me. Yeah, I agree. Furthermore, the letter was pristine. It was found on the ground, but it was fairly clean, and it looked like it had recently been left out. So the police look at this, and they think one of two things. Either this is a note from someone who knows too much and needs to be questioned, or it's a hoax. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. So even though this could be a hoax, the police still take the tip seriously because that's their jobs. And thank God they do, because this is a really crucial, important piece of evidence. So the next morning, they start looking in bodies of water in the area that included a few ponds and a river. So I'm saying ponds, but they're settlement ponds. And it's located right on top of a dairy farm. And basically, that's where they're... um, Manure ends up most of the time. So cadaver dogs are basically useless in those situations. And it's not the kind of water you can put a diver in. But they also had a few irrigation channels to check as well. And they checked all of them. And they didn't find anything. So while they are doing that, they start looking into the woman who found the letter. Turns out it was the same woman who had reported her suitcase being stolen to the police. Melissa Huckabee. The best friend? Yes. Huckabee was a single mother that lived in the trailer park where Sandra lived. She lived with her grandparents and her own five-year-old daughter, who was Sandra's best friend. Her grandfather was the pastor at a local church, and Melissa was a Sunday school teacher. So they start to interview her and ask for an alibi. According to her, she was alone at the church setting up decorations for the Sunday school that she taught So that's no evidence. But she also had a phone call from the church to the trailer park manager, placing her there. But the church is like crazy close to the trailer park, so it doesn't really rule her out. But it does mark her as not being at the trailer park during very crucial times. The police search her car and they find a blue sticky note that has something scribbled on it. The FBI does what I can only consider magic after seeing pictures of the sticky note. They're able to find what's scribbled on it. The note read, Bassini Road and Whitehall Road and water. Do lack the exact location that was on the note found at the candlelight vigil? So was it a hoax then? At this point they're still not sure, you know, maybe this woman just wants attention, but we're still going to investigate it. So they search her home, and at this point the police believe she has to be involved somehow. Maybe she's just a witness or maybe it's just a hoax, but she's probably the one who wrote that note. So while looking through her house, they find a notebook with Cupid Psycho written on the cover. And a page ripped out that matched the vo- and a page ripped out that matched the note found at the vigil. They take the note to the crime lab and are able to in, do some sort of indenting process with it, where they prove that the notebook is where the note came from. So I think at this point, the police are looking, her, looking at her as an attention seeker, especially after they looked at all these sources of water and found nothing. Yeah, I am. You know, plus she doesn't match the profile and she does have a soft alibi for the time of Sandra's disappearance. Plus, she has had plenty of access with Sandra in the past and really has no motive to, in order to hurt Sandra. And Melissa is complying with the police and even starts to give them other suspects. She points him to a neighbor who would allow Sandra into his home and had a history where he has been suspected of drugging a 7-year-old girl so badly that she had been taken to the hospital. What is up with this trailer park? That and cadaver dogs hit positive on his truck. So that's super suspicious. Yeah, and the police scour this truck with a fine-tooth comb, but they don't find anything. And around this time, a father and a stepson come forward. They come forward voluntarily with photos they had taken of Sandra. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, they had taken these photos in their home and, like... The photos of her are her sitting on someone's lap with her shorts unbuttoned. What? Is, is this still in the trailer park? Yes. They live in the trailer park as well. What is wrong with this damn trailer park? They confiscate these computers and go through it and find photos of children on the computer and, and a stuffed animal covered in semen. Oh, Apparently oh God. Apparently it was being used to masturbate. Ugh. Oh, gross. That's just gross. So now we're up to two pedophiles, in the, three, tra- three pedophiles in the trailer park. I'm just trying to keep count now. Um, you're forgetting about the guy so, who kissed her on the mouth. So we're talking, so we have, what, three pedophiles in the trailer park?
1: Yeah. I'm just guy, trying to keep count.
0: So just to sum up the creepy people in this investigation, we have the guy who kissed Sandra on the lip, ice cream truck guy who had never been seen in the area except for the days Sandra went missing, attention-seeking Sunday school teacher, A guy who drugged a seven-year-old and a stepfather-son duo who honestly just need to be put in jail. Agreed. Well, they all need to be put in jail, but maybe not, I guess maybe not ice cream drug guy. He's just suspicious as hell. Wait, 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 Jamie. Ice cream drug guy? Oh, sorry. He's not like the creepiest guy, so I kind of glanced over him. So, basically, on the day Sandra went missing, ice cream truck guy, for the very first time in his entire history, went to this trailer park. The manager stopped him, asked him what he was doing. He said selling ice cream, and then immediately left. But the police basically ruled him out super quick because, like, he's on video. They talked to him really quickly. Like, everyone saw him, like, most of his movements were accounted for, if not all of his movements. No one saw Sandra go up to his ice cream truck. Well, he is seriously the least creepy person in this investigation. Exactly. It's just like, okay, no one cares about the ice cream truck guy. So they started taking these people in for polygraph tests, and y'all know how I feel about polygraph tests. And if you don't, please go back. We did an episode on polygraph tests, and I go into larger details of why they are a huge hoax. So if not, you don't want to go listen to me yell about polygraph tests. Just trust me when I say they're horribly unreliable, especially when dealing with sociopaths or psychopaths. And since, spoiler alert, they are meant to measure stress, and you know who isn't stressed about murdering people? Monsters. Monsters aren't stressed out about murdering people. But that's another rant from a past podcast. So they polygraph the guy who kissed Sandra, and he passes. Plus, he does have an alibi for the time she was missing. They do the weird neighbor. He also passes, but doesn't have an alibi. And the police find out that these two guys are friends. So the stepdad of and the son- Of course they are. So the stepdad and the son both fail their polygraphs when asked if they had anything to do with the disappearance. They say no, but the lie determined that was a lie. The only problem is there's just no physical evidence to put any of these guys anywhere near Sandra the day she was missing. There's not even eyewitness testimony. There's just nothing. Yeah, and didn't they basically make themselves a suspect? So why would they do that? Honestly, I don't know why, in general, they decided to talk to the police. Like, you were just... Like, if I was a police officer, even if they didn't go down for Sandra, any time anything remotely suspicious happened in the area, they would be the first people that I went to go see. I'd be at that damn trailer park. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that trailer park... At the beginning, there are... Like, oh, so many people describe the trailer park as, like, family-friendly, a great place to bring your kids up, so many activities for the family. And then this happens, and all these just creepy pedophiles come out the woodwork. Well, you have... A karate center run by a pedophile, a family pool where you can get sexually assaulted, and a father and son or a father and stepson duo whipping out pictures so you can get photography done, karate lessons, and swim—all family fun. And the problem is, like three of these guys admit to the police that they have fantasies about children. So it's like, come on. <laughs> Ugh. So, the police have arrested and let go all other suspects, looked into their homes, cars, and coming back with absolutely nothing. This was until April 6th at 10. The police received a call about a suspicious object found near the site mentioned in the note. The police confirmed at 7 p.m. that night that a body was found in a black suitcase and that the clothes matched the clothes Sandra was last seen in. Oh no. It wouldn't be long before dental records would confirm. This is the body of 8-year-old Sandra Cantu, stuffed in a suitcase and thrown in a pond meant for cow shit. And the police still were no longer and the police were still not any closer to finding out who had killed her.